Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you this morning. I'm just going to stand over here for a sec. I have some helpers with me to start off our message this morning. Do you want to demonstrate what you have there? <laughs> Does anybody know what this is? A <laughs> phone? Yes. Uh, there we go. This is the acoustic tin can telephone or lover's phone. It has been known for centuries. The classic example is the children's toy made by connecting the bottom of two paper cups, metal cans, or plastic bottles with tautly held string. And that's what we have here. Funny story, when I was Kayla's age, my best friend and I thought it would be a great idea to make one of these phones that reached from my house to her house. Now, she lived a couple of streets away, so the string was going to need to be very, very long. Um, unfortunately, our plans were put to a stop quite quickly when my mom came into my bedroom just before we were going to put the hole in the screen of my bedroom window to put the string through. <laughs> I don't recommend trying that at home. <laughs> Thank you, girls. <laughs> Oh, yes, fun times as children, hey? Created in the image of a relational God, we are made to be in conversation. We have been created to converse with one another and with our Creator. And that's what we're going to talk about today, conversing with God. To have a conversation with God is to pray. Martin Luther King once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is essential in our walk of faith, both as individuals and collectively. As Richard Foster notes, it's the primary way God uses to transform us and his world. But just because something is necessary for life, like breathing, doesn't mean it comes naturally. Prayer is a practice, something that we learn in private with God and together in community. In a moment, we're going to read from the Bible's book of Acts, chapter 12, where we see Jesus' followers in a time of great suffering and persecution. Jesus has recently ascended into heaven, and those left, left behind are adjusting to the loss of his physical presence with them. They're Jewish Christians now and perceived to be a threat to both the state and the mainstream religious establishment. So King Herod starts to kill Jesus' followers, including their leaders. We read that the disciples James, brother to John, is killed first, and then they arrest Peter, intending to do the same. Starting at verse 5, we read that while Peter was in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. We then learn that this is the night before Herod is to bring Peter to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. 
Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where, there, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Amen. Peter's miraculous escape from prison is a pretty remarkable story. Yet, not all the disciples were granted the same miraculous escape from their imprisonment, resulting in terrible deaths. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether or not the church was earnestly praying for James like Peter when he was arrested and put in prison. But if I were to make an educated guess, I'm guessing that they probably were. And if that's the case, then it appears that in the instance of James, the church's prayers were not answered. But in the case of Peter, they were. It's this painful dichotomy that often leaves us with a love-hate relationship with the practice of prayer. In our own lives, as we've just done, we can name and point to the times when God has answered our prayers. But we can also point to the times when God didn't answer our prayers. And those are the ones that often cause us to stop and pause and wonder, what's the point? Philip Yancey has a lovely book entitled Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? In this book, Yancey talks about some of the frustrations he has journeyed through in his own prayer life when he felt that God was absent or not listening. And he came to a place of understanding that God answers prayer in four ways. Yes, no, not yet, not this way. The truth, maybe the hard truth, is that God always answers our prayers and always for our good, but we don't always understand his reasoning and are often left with this painful question of why. And like in our story this morning, this is often when we come to God in prayer, 
When we're in crisis, when it's the 11th hour and all else has failed, we pray. What a great time to pray. That is good. But what about all the in-between times when we're not in crisis? Why do we tend to hold our breath? What's always caused me to pause when reading about Peter's miraculous escape is that although the church was praying earnestly for his release and his safe return to them, they don't seem to be praying as though they believe God will act. They even dismiss the girl rather harshly, telling her, you must be out of your mind. And as Peter greets his friends face to face, we read, they are astonished. Prayer is a mystery. And living in this space of mystery can be very hard. And it's my sense that what makes prayer so challenging sometimes and why we are often left asking why is that when God answers our prayers, it's not based on what is temporary. It's based on what is eternal. God's perspective, God's timeline, God's mission is eternal. I appreciate the insights of Art Katz, who writes, We may believe in eternity, but to what extent have we actually agreed with the world that eternity is not relevant until after this life? Eternity is not merely a time frame that is endless. It is profoundly and foremost a qualitative thing that is available now. When we begin to see all our moments set in the context of eternity, we will bring to those moments a seriousness that we would not otherwise have had. We don't get to see the big picture, not yet. For now, we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Prayer is hard because right now we live with the messy reality of what is temporary. Eternity can feel more like wearing rose-colored glasses or an escape rather than something we are living in right now and invited to participate in, understanding ourselves to be part of the big picture. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. That's the innate, undeniable sense that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Like Jesus' followers then, today we read this truth, we know this truth, we proclaim this truth, but do we pray and live as though we believe this truth? Are we experiencing this truth? Maybe, maybe not. And the truth is God doesn't need us to pray. His will will be done whether we pray or not. At the end of our passage, we hear Peter give all the glory to God, declaring to his friends how the Lord had delivered him out of prison. He didn't say, thank you, friends. It is your great faith and fervent prayer life that has delivered me. There's nothing wrong with great faith and a passion for prayer. 
just as there's nothing wrong with bringing our list of wants and needs to God in prayer, our hopes, our dreams, our desired outcomes. Jesus beautifully affirms this when he teaches his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Yet, if we believe prayer is only for the great of faith, or we stay in the posture of instruction, we miss one of the most important aspects of prayer. At the heart of prayer is an invitation to be in a safe space of connection with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Prayer pulls us to the safety of faith, not by the strength of our own, but by the strength of God's eternal faithfulness. And conversation is a dialogue that requires give and take. We talk and we listen. We listen and we respond. And it's the same in conversation and in prayer with God. We can talk to God anytime, all day, through the busyness and chaos of this life. But it's also important to carve out quiet spaces where we can listen for God's voice. The young story today knew without a doubt that it was Peter at the door because she recognized his voice. Jesus promised when he left this earth he would send us an advocate, spirit, to be with us forever. And it is by God's spirit that we pray and come to hear and know his voice in our midst, in what is temporary, pointing to what is eternal. One of my most cherished memories of connection looks like this image. When my daughters were little babies, these moments of rest together were so precious. In this sacred place, there was always a sense of calm as our heartbeats found the same rhythm and our breathing became like one. Each of us, like these babies, are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And God longs to connect with his children in this way. I think this is what prayer looks like with God. A place of deepest intimacy and dependency where we know and are known to the fullest. In God's eyes, we're all still these squishy, beautiful little babies. As God started to knit you in your mother's womb and ordain all your days, never did God put down his needle and say, well, considering how this one's going to turn out, I guess it's not really worth stitching. No. With all our sin, dirt, grime, and messiness that often for us defines our lives and who we are and who we are in front of God, God has always loved you, and that will never change. He loves you right now, exactly as you are, even if you're finding it hard to love yourself. In Richard Foster's book on prayer, he shares a beautiful story of one of his friends who was walking through a shopping mall with his two-year-old son. The child was in a particularly cantankerous mood, fussing and fuming. The frustrated father tried everything to quiet his son but nothing seemed to help. Then under some special inspiration, the father scooped up his son and holding him close to his chest, began singing an impromptu love song. 
None of the words rhymed. He sang off key. And yet, as best he could, this father began sharing his heart. I love you, he sang. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me happy. I like the way you laugh. On they went from one store to the next. Quietly, the father continued singing off key and making up words that did not rhyme. The child relaxed and became still, listening to this strange and wonderful song. Finally, they finished shopping and went to the car. As the father opened the door and prepared to buckle his son into the car seat, the child lifted his head and simply said, Sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. Prayer is a little like that. With simplicity of heart, we allow ourselves to be gathered up in the arms of the Father and let him sing his love song over us. When we're free to converse with God as a loving parent, to lament, complain, talk back to, be discouraged by, disappointed with, disagree with, and all the good stuff too, rejoice with, be thankful for, express love, our confidence, trust, and faith grows in our Creator who is present with us now and already knows you completely. Prayer is a practice. A practice is a habit that we intentionally integrate into our lives for the well-being of ourselves and others. In closing, as we consider how this is lived out practically speaking, one of the ways we practice prayer in our home is by carving out time at the end of the day to pray together as a family. Now, bedtime in our house can be one of the most trying and chaotic times of the day. I don't know why, it doesn't matter how early we start, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> However, no matter how crazy the end of the day feels, we do always stop to catch our breath and to talk to God. Sometimes it's just a few minutes, sometimes longer if daddy's praying. <laughs> what started off as mommy and daddy praying has become a safe space for all four of us to converse with God as it is, as we are. And my heart overflows with joy when I hear my daughters bring them their whole selves to Jesus. If I've instilled in them nothing else, may the practice of prayer always be their safe space. I'd like to leave you with a question to consider this week. Who do you spend your time in conversation with? When you're on your phones, texting friends, calling family, checking out Facebook, Instagram, and all the other fun stuff we do and all the fun ways we converse in 2023, I invite you to also seek safe spaces of connection, taking even just a moment to send a text to God. Simply say hi, and then see what follows. Richard Foster gives us some great guidance here as we start to incorporate the practice of prayer in our lives. He writes, for now, do not worry about proper praying. Just talk to God. Share your hurts, share your sorrows, share your joys freely and openly. God listens in compassion and love, just like we do when our children come to us. 
He delights in our presence. When we do this, we will discover something of inestimable value. We will discover that by praying, we learn to pray. There's no right or wrong. Nothing you say, nothing you do can ever separate you from the love of God. May that encourage you as you pray this week. And now, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, our Savior, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you want to converse with us. Thank you that you see us as squishy, little, beautiful babies. Thank you that you want to hold us and be near us and guide us. And thank you for creating us to be in relationship with you and each other. Jesus, we pray as we converse with you this week that your spirit would guide and lead us, that you would feel close and tangible, and even in those spaces where we simply don't understand, bring your comfort and your peace. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.